0: Hello! Welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast. Uh, this is episode 14. Uh, I am your host, Dave Christensen. It's nice to see you. Thank you for coming, thank you for downloading or streaming or however you're listening to this. Um, well, so if this is your first one, uh, a special welcome to you. Thank you for coming. Uh, and uh, I'll just explain it briefly, what what's going on here. So, we uh, at Bright Club Southampton, we put on a comedy night... Um, roughly every three months or so we had a little bit of a gap over the summer but um, we're going to be back on schedule soon every three months and uh, at that comedy night we get like researchers and academics um, uh, to uh, tell jokes about their interests and their work and their research and then afterwards we think we want to know more about those people we want to find out what makes them tick we want to hear a little bit more about their work because a lot of the time they don't talk a lot about their work because they're being funny instead we think, we want to know about their work, so we get them in here, and we chat to them, and we find out about their work, and um, and and then also you get to hear the jokes again, so don't worry, it's not just a really dry dissection of some academic topic, but um, it's a fun chat. So um, so this week on the podcast, uh, we have uh, Sadie Jones interviewing Nuria Garcia-Casicuberta. I apologise if that pronunciation is terrible, Nuria. So Nuria is a, a well, a classicist um, slash archaeologist. Um, I think she describes herself as a philologist. I'm not sure what that is. So um, uh, I, I will stop trying to tell you what Nuria is because um, Nuria is about to explain for herself in the podcast. So um, I won't take up any more of your time now. I will hand over to Sadie and Nuria. Um, and I'll see you on the other side of this. Have fun.
1: Hi. Hi. Okay, Naria. So, uh, I watched your set.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Very funny. Thank you. Um, the first thing I want to say is that I am actually Indiana Jones because I'm Dr. Jones. Good. So, but yes. So, um... But unfortunately, I haven't watched many of the Indiana Jones films. Hmm. So, it seemed from your set that you had a bit of a a problem with Indiana.
3: <laughs> yeah, all the archaeologists do. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, when you go to the cinema and you accept this is a film, yeah, yeah. It's, you just enjoy the film, but it's not historically accurate. Like, in the last film, um what was that the the crystal school the in English? alien one was it was no it before was? that one okay. the, the first one where he had a son,
2: okay
3: he was fighting oh, yeah. yeah, he was fighting someone who was working for Stalin in a year that if you check the dates, Stalin had been dead already for a few years, oh, my. so <laughs> that's just lazy yes <laughs> okay, I mean um yeah it's it's this sort of things and like, I don't know, I remember the first thing I watched, um, the first time I watched his films, it was uh, one of them where at the beginning, I don't remember what film it is, but at the beginning it's Indiana Jones when he's a kid and his father says, I'm not going to pay attention to you unless you count to ten in ancient Greek. And in retrospective, you know, I watched the film again when I was, a, when I was having my degree and the numbers are wrong because that looks more like modern Greek.
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they should have had you as a scientific advisor, I think.
3: Yes. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, So, I'm Nuria. I graduated in classical philology, which is the study of ancient Greek and Latin language and literature. Um, And after my master's, I started applying everywhere for funding uh, for a PhD. And I ended up here because here is where you get the funding to study Roman
1: Mediterranean ports. So tell me more about your master's in, what's it, ancient Greek and Latin?
3: Yeah, it's ancient cultures and languages. The problem with the master's is that, well, they have quite a lot of people for the degree, but then, you know, after the BA, people drop off. So mm-hmm. not everybody goes on to a master. So they yeah. didn't have enough. And they uh, put us together with the people from like Arabic and Hebrew studies. So we had some very cool subjects together where we would look at like ancient Egypt and the Persian empire, and this um, like sort of Eastern empires. Uh, and then we had the optional subjects were specific to your, to your um, degree. And it was, it was very funny. What the, like the most funny one that I remember was Tacitus. Uh, Tacitus was a Roman historian from the, like between the first, second century AD And he lives in an age where he has just a a series of civil wars have just finished. So he's conscious that there are some things that he cannot say because the society is still fractured and he doesn't want to get attacked for it. So he's he actually says those things but you have to be able to read into what he's actually saying because he cannot say things directly. So at one point, um, there is someone consulting an oracle saying, am I going to die? And the word used in Greek is ambiguous because it can either mean too late or too early. So (laughs) it's very funny because they say, yeah, you're going to have a maturus death. And the guy is very happy because he thinks, oh, I'm going to die very late. But actually after a few pages, they kill him. So (laughs)
1: that is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Okay so great, so after your masters you decided to do a PhD, why did you decide to stay on and do research? It's pretty much a logical step if you do
3: classics and if you want to stay in academia you usually do a masters and a PhD, Um, but I would encourage everyone, if you want to try try, but try to do it with funding because it's so much better, so I I tried to start one without funding and it, it was a struggle.
1: So then I started applying everywhere and in India, and I got funding here, so I came here. Ah, oh, great. So it's yeah. so why I didn't know that Southampton, you know, did this kind of thing. So why did you get the funding here? Is it so I applied to the project
3: rather than to the university, oh, okay. and the project happened to be at Southampton, um, and Southampton has a very strong department of maritime archaeology and prehistory. Not so much of Roman archaeology, but we have Simon Key who is quite a big name. We have Chris Trout, who does like the um, radar um, Geophysics this kind of thing. He's very good at it Um, We have Lucy Blue. She's not particularly particularly specific in Roman archaeology, but she's done a lot of maritime research Um, We have lots of big names in the area Um, We also have David Whitley is one of the more important names in GIS. GIS is, sorry, that stands for Geographical Information Systems. Okay. And that's that's how you anal- analyze the terrain with a computer, like altitudes and, um, for example, we use it in my project, there is someone who does GIS, and we use it to see if you are on a ship, what parts of the land are visible to you. Oh. And you can, Program the computer. It apparently is quite difficult. I am not doing this part myself, <laughs> but you can actually program the computer to tell you if you are on a ship at these distances, what part of the land are you going to be able to see, so that you can oh. find your orientation to get into one port or another. So it's, yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Um, and my family are delighted because Southampton does not have a classics department, uh, so instead they put me in archaeology, and they are delighted. Because they did not get the philology thing, but they took
1: get the archaeology. I am Indiana Jones. <laughs> so how did you actually get into your research? Like, how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Uh, like, you mean classics or the PhD particularly? Uh, I just, yeah, guess classics. How did you get interested in classics?
3: Well, I always loved the Greek myths. And when I was a teenager, I got a copy of the Iliad. Mm translated and the translation the translation was so bad <laughs> i didn't understand a thing and i was like it's not possible that a poem that's considered to be one of the greatest works in literature it's not possible that it's as rubbish so Yeah, and then I started doing, like, sort of amateur research, and in the end it was like, I want to do this. (laughs) So have
1: you translated it since and realised that it isn't rubbish? Exactly. You have. And I've also got proper translations of it, yeah. (laughs) Great, that's really cool. Well, I was just just thinking of one of my favourite wives of Henry VIII is Mm -hmm. the last one, and she did lots of translation. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, the Bible. Yeah, she's really kick-ass. Like, it's very, (laughs) like, feminist, but it's made me really, like... So I think she's the f- one of the first females to publish under her own name. Oh. she sure. was literally just translating yeah. like the Bible mm-hmm. um into English so people could yeah. read it. Yeah. Um so yeah. You might yeah. like her. I did not know Bella. that, but that's very yeah. What is she called? Catherine? There's loads of them called Catherine. Catherine Howard. Yes, no, yes. <laughs> that's it. The last one. The one that survives until yeah. you get a headshot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the book's by or the book I read is by Philippa Gregory, and she does mm-hmm. lots of like well historical fiction. Yeah,
3: yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, the bits behind closed doors are... Yeah.
3: You'll never know. I haven't actually read anything by Philippa Gregory, but my friends say it's quite good. It's really
1: good. So, for me, personally, I never used to be interested in history, because when it was taught Mm. to me in in Wales, it was all just dates, 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 dates. Yeah. Um, But this makes it more of a, like, you know, personal story, and Mm. I think Philippa Gregory writes very well so they like they're not just the boring queen Mm. that sits next to the king yeah so yeah yeah i recommend it
2: sadly i am not i wish i
3: were
1: actually
2: because you know he's
3: just in the classroom doing his boring thing and then these very important people suddenly just burst in with this
1: question for your PhD
3: so my PhD is part of a wider project the project is called Portus Lemen Um, and then Portus Lemen investigates different aspects of the ports of the maritime harbors of the Roman Empire Mm -hmm. so my particular task in the project is to um, go through all the historical literature Mm -hmm. and find all the words that refer to a category of port or another category and what each word means? What type of harbor was that?
2: Okay.
3: Uh, in Greek, there are like eight different types of ports. In Latin, there are mainly two, and then geographical words like the beach or. But then, why would you use a beach as a port? Or why, you know? I mean, okay. are you being? Are you having an emergency? Are you using a the beach as a black market spot because if you go to the official port you're gonna have to pay tax or you know this kind of thing and that's that's what my uh, PhD is about what's the
1: <laughs> I don't want to
3: say what's the, the point for that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so my what is PhD, it useful for? yeah I would say the PhD is about semantics so to say I, I researched the meaning of words the problem is that current semantic studies you have a set of native speakers Of a determinate language. And what you usually do is you give them, say, for example, um, a picture of an object, for example, a table, and the picture of a similar object, for example, a desk, and you're like, what do you call this and why? And because you have a native speaker, they can tell you and they can reason their answer, but we don't have any living speakers of Latin and Greek. So what I've had to do here was to develop a methodology combining the historical text, which is like the answers that these people would be able to tell me mm-hmm. but they are not alive anymore so i have to see what they wrote about it yeah. and also archaeological remains or like geographical studies or anything relating to the physical world because i just cannot go back in time with a picture of a board like what do you call this <laughs> so yeah so i think the value of my particular thesis is to develop a methodology to, to find meanings of words from texts, in the first place, um, and secondly, to clarify, because we have some. One of my case studies is port systems in southern Italy, particularly in Calabria and Apulia, and there is one. Per, there are a couple of systems that it's not very clear how they were working because people are not very skilled in understanding the ancient what the ancient text meant, and I. One of the things is I'm trying to provide a solution for that. Yeah. And, yeah, so I hope I can somehow help the archaeologists a bit as well with, from my point of view. So, yeah, yeah, great. It does seem like you're onto a winner. Uh, yeah, this guy also has never been to a real dig, uh, he just uh, happens to find clothes completely effortlessly. He, for example, he goes up the stairs of the library and looks down and there is a map mapping mm-hmm. all the way oh, to the, the treasure. River. In a real dig, you have a few rocks on the ground and the poor guy with a, with a raider trying to work out where, where the rest of the rocks should be. Um, and then he finds whole underground temples in a perfect state of conservation and the problem is, he doesn't find one clue, but a few dozens of them. Um, I'm going to make a spoiler now. In the last crusade.
2: At the end, he just enters
3: <laughs> this room, which is full of holy grails, so he can choose which one he likes best. And
1: the best thing I've ever seen at the beat is the handle of a jug. <laughs> so you're almost at the end of your...? Yeah. Have you, did you say you submitted? Uh, to
3: my supervisor for feedback. So I haven't oh. actually submitted to the graduate school yet, but
1: I hope it's in a reasonable near future. Um and i guess what is next after your phd well i want a job
3: (laughs) um uh, i've been trying to apply for jobs in academia but it's quite difficult because there's a lot of competence so i think um with my cv i can probably do something in the commercial sector as well like for example academic publishers or like the teaching sector so i think yeah with my cv there is some stuff that I can do that's not necessarily inside academia, and I think having a PhD, and particularly from an English university, because I expect to stay here, I think that's going to be quite a boost in my CV, so
1: yeah, definitely, yeah, all the best. Um, Is there any kind of future questions uh, surrounding your research that you'd like to answer or are particularly excited by? Uh, Right now I'm getting into
3: the field of the digital humanities. Mm. Uh, and that's quite great, and there's there's this, say, current of studies, that's natural language processing. It's how do we train the computer to understand the language in the same way that we as humans do with all our, you know, sometimes you, you end the sentences midway or sometimes you use a word but you actually mean something else because you're being sarcastic or something like that. And, these tools are being developed for the English language, but they are not being developed for other languages or at least not at the same pace and definitely not for uh, the classical languages and particularly Greek, which has a completely different alphabet. Yeah. So I would like to get into that. Like, If I, if I could just you know, help produce a tool, for example, that, can, that you can ask for it to classify the place names in a text or something like that. Uh, particularly in my case, because I'm working with geographical texts, yeah. that that would be quite a boost for
1: myself. So yeah, yeah, sounds useful. As mm-hmm. well. So how did you end up uh, doing Bright Club? Um, they had posters around the faculty,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and one day they had. Well, I thought this was interesting, and one day they had this poster that was like a walk-in session, and I thought it would be interesting, so I just came along. Um, yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, in even for me that, you know, I'm a humanities person and most people in the Bright Club are science people, but it's very funny, it's, they make science accessible to everyone, so you can go there, you can have fun anyway, so if humanities people are listening, you're, uh, you are more than welcome to come to the shows, so
1: <laughs> yeah, you're going to have fun. So and have you done any more outreach before or after since Bright Club? yeah um we had an archaeology
3: festival and it was more like a family day for families to walk in and i was running a paleography like workshop i cut the reed pens myself and then um the people mostly children who were who took part and they could just take a pen home as a souvenir explain
1: Um, to you what paleography is
3: oh paleography sorry that's uh ancient writing ah okay yeah, I particularly I was doing gothic letters because they are easy.
1: But and the, you get the kids doing those. Yeah. Okay.
3: I well, they were mostly writing their names, and okay. the smaller kids just wanted to paint. But the whole point of that was like to
1: use a an ancient sort of pen with ancient sort of ink. And yeah, yeah I would have loved that as a kid. I had yeah. all these italic pens and did my calligraphy hours. Yeah. It's a shame, really. Kids yeah. don't do that very often. They're all on their iPads. Mm-hmm. And in the other
3: table there were some very interesting ladies who had like plastic skulls and they were showing the forensic techniques mm. by which you, you have like... Um, like CSI. Yeah, <laughs> you, you uh, reconstruct the way faces, the face of the person must have oh, looked.
1: Oh, from the skull. Yeah.
3: Wow. And it, was, it was amazing. Um, Apparently, you can reconstruct it very accurately, except for the nose, because it, you don't have bones in the nose. Yeah. So you always have to make a decision if they had a bigger or a smaller nose. But ah. it was very cool to seeing them in the in the table next to me doing that. It was yeah. Yeah, that is cool. But uh, digs are really amazing. Uh, excavations are really amazing because when you are learning like me, what you do is uh, they give you a task every day so you can see a bit of everything. And my favorite one is the mosaic panel because you get random mosaic pebbles from broken mosaics that you have to classify by color so they can get reused for the restoration of other mosaics. Um, And you know, they tell you, yeah, you have to classify them by color. That sounds very easy, you know. Blue, red, green.
1: with all these different mosaics yeah um, can you tell me more how that links to your research or oh it
3: images? was uh,
1: it it was Portus the ancient port of Rome and
3: it's a site that is part of my project so uh-huh. I refer to it quite a lot in my thesis and okay so and there was this dig going on and it was also my supervisor um, is linked to that site he's the director of the excavation so he said do you want to come and me and my colleagues were like yes yeah <laughs> left it. Yeah, yeah so how long and are you there for digging I was I was there for a week but people in general were there for a month because yeah. I was there visiting so to say I was digging like everyone else but I was more of a visitor so yeah I was in the trench that is supposed to be um they're still studying it but it's probably the place where they repaired the ships so it's like a rectangular structure and there were like marks that there must have been some sort of poles on the ground to hold the ship in place while they, so for example the ships when they are sailing they tend to get like barnacles and things attached to the keel mm-hmm. and also you need to repaint them to make sure that the water is, um, that it doesn't get the water through mm-hmm. and this kind of thing so
2: yeah.
1: Cool. So have you ever found anything like on a dig that you weren't expecting to find or?
3: I particularly have not, but someone in my trench the year before, in the same place that I was, they found like a little jar with a skeleton inside.
2: Ooh. (laughs) Because,
3: yeah, because later it seems that later in the Middle Ages the site was abandoned, but there were some burials there.
1: Okay. So, yeah. And then Mm -hmm.
3: someone else, a a few trenches lower, uh, more to the south than I, they found the Roman coin, which was quite cool. That is cool. (laughs) Yeah, um, my research for my research, I basically read the historical sources in ancient Greek and Latin. Um, and one would think that nowadays everything should be translated, and it is not. The major authors, they are. Other authors, I am glad they are printed at all. I mean, yesterday I went mad looking for an edition of the uh, of a text in Latin that's not even online. Um, and that's because all things were done by the. Uh, German guys in the 19th century, and they were show-offs, and they printed things, and they printed everything in Latin. The introduction is in Latin, the footnotes are in Latin, the commentaries are in Latin, the text is in Latin, it's a Greek text, never mind, just put it in Latin.
2: <laughs>
3: um, yeah, they were show-offs, or maybe they thought it was less rude to say that the text is valuable, as if a pearl was shining amongst shit. <laughs> <In>
2: Latin! Margarita
1: in case you wondering. Have you ever, so kind of coming on to your kind of like translation, have you ever translated anything that was really weird or unexpected?
3: Um, I have quite uh, some funny texts that I've had to translate for my thesis. Um, for example, so I look at texts related to ports. Mediterranean harbors and there's one that's quite funny that says uh, the Romans were staying in a city they were being attacked but the general in charge of the garrison the text literally says he was too drunk to even defend himself <laughs> and so they explain how he escaped through a gate that led through a harbor then he took a ship went to the other harbor and stuff but it's the moment when you find the phrase, like, and he was too drunk to defend himself, and he knew that. And that makes your Monday. It's like, I'm awake now. <laughs> and, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And also, for some reason, lots of words that from Greek texts that I'm translating. When you go to the dictionary and you start looking, not the first significant, but you start going through the en- the entry in the dictionary, that sometimes they are quite long entries. And there are so many words that seem to have sexual connotations.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's like, I mean... the. There is a word for um, when the sea is agitated, and this sort of agitation is also the agitation of
1: having sex, and it's...
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know quite a few of the Greek myths from doing astronomy myself. Yeah. And they're quite saucy, I guess, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have to study Greek mythology at all, or no? Yeah, I've had to. Not particularly now for my thesis, no. but... Okay,
3: yeah. <laughs> Inscriptions are... They are only also translated at random uh, because archeologists usually know enough Latin to, to make them out because they are really short. Like, Emperor Rex built this aqueduct. You don't really need to say more. Um, but the good inscriptions are the funerary ones because that's where you see the lives of the common people and their loved ones and their hated ones.
2: Right. <laughs>
3: because imagine, you, we have a lot of this kind I'm going to explain now. Imagine you're a poor bloke from antiquity and your grandpa dies. So you go to the local engraver and you ask him to make a nice tombstone for him. And the engraver says, okay, what do I write in the tombstone? And you go like, I don't know, what's the standard writing? X son of Y is buried here. Okay, should you not say something more personal? And then they suggest, how long did he live? How long did grandpa live? I mean, here in antiquity you're not even counting the years. And then it's like, you know, never mind. Just just uh, write that I am very rich and I am paying for this.
2: <laughs>
3: so the tombstone ends up reading, X son of Y is buried here. He lived more or less 60 years. His grandchild dad very generously paid for a tombstone. <laughs> And we have a lot of those. And because you don't want your family to mess up with it, what you will do is that uh, you will pay for the tomb yourself. But then you add a short message. Uh, you add a short message at the end, which basically says, "This tomb shall not pass
1: on to my heirs."
2: <laughs>
1: it was a bit in your set about the. Was it was the tombstones. Oh or yeah. The, the- I don't usually
3: work with tombstones, but I put those in the set because they are funny.
1: <laughs> because it's it's something about the money. Yeah, yeah. they yeah they,
3: they always if they pay for something they. Because they written on the actual like tombstone. Yes, <laughs>
2: that's
1: it.
3: Yeah, and so. even if they make a monument, for example, to honor I don't know Jupiter or something, and if they have paid for it, they will put it underneath. <laughs> like uh, Caius Julius paid for this. Like look, I'm very rich and I'm yeah. very generous and I yeah yeah, they actually write it if they pay for it.
2: Yeah, but so what I
3: found shocking it was like they sometimes in the tomb they go like, I don't know how long this guy lived. Um yeah they lived more or less fifty years and they you can see their plus minus way and it's like yeah more
1: or less, who cares? Well they really, actually put like plus or minus on the and they spell it, but yes. Oh okay. <laughs> Yeah, that is cool.
3: Um, and the papyri also, they are only translated at random, the ones that give some sort of clues to the historical events, um, or uh, fiscal taxes or things, but uh, the good thing about the papyri is that they are full of gossip. Actually, the earliest example of Latin writing that we have is a letter from a poor soldier who is stranded in the army And he writes home to his dad, Dad, please, I love you. Please send money. (laughs) Now, what I read are papyri. Um, Yeah, it's usually like laws, or for example about customs, or um, like people sending things to people and saying, go to the port and pick up whatever thing I sent you, or go to the port and buy this. This is the kind of papyri I
1: translate. Are any but of the books. like the texts that you like read? Do you have to wear those like gloves? Is
0: uh,
1: the paper like? I usually <laughs> find
3: there's a for the papyri. I usually find the texts from a website because they are oh, okay. scattered all around the world. Yeah, yeah. The manuscripts, yeah, I've been to libraries to to see manuscripts. Not particularly for this PhD, but before in my masters and and things. Um, the advice is not to wear gloves. Actually, that, oh, really? they did it before, huh. but then they decided clean hands is better because the gloves um, they can leave out fluff in the manuscript, oh. and that's very difficult to clean out afterwards. So, so you just have to make sure you're not like sweating or anything. <laughs> yeah, they give you like a sheet of paper, and then okay. if you need to to follow the lines of the text, then you're going to use the paper as a mark. Ah. If you don't want to touch the thing directly, but it's
2: clean. yeah. Have you been very to any cool.
1: cool like libraries or anything? Yeah,
3: I uh, I once had a studentship for a month and a half in Florence, and I Ooh. was at the Medici Laurenziana,
1: wow. which
3: is like you know it's inside a cloister, this very massive cloister, uh, and it has some because it's very old. And behind it, there's the chapels that Michelangelo um, sculptured the tomb of the Medici and. So every morning I would arrive there, and there would be a massive queue of tourists. <laughs> and I just walked past, and they were like, hey, you have to pay. And I was like, right. no.
1: <laughs> no, I don't, don't you know no. who I
3: am. <laughs> yeah, so I would go in, and yeah, it was very funny. I was working with a particularly old manuscript from the 15th century, and that manuscript was even older, but the the person who wrote it, Tedaldo de la Casa, he had deleted an ancient manuscript and written his thing on top.
2: Oh. So,
3: and one day I actually got a black light. Well, it's actually purple, but we call it black light. Yeah. <laughs> and you can read through the manuscript and you can oh. see the letters underneath. That's so cool. Yeah. It was some sort of prayer book, I think, or something about the church. Oh, so uh, it wasn't obviously. anything
1: like particularly like spies. No.
3: But he deleted that and he, on top of that, he wrote the story Augusta, so <laughs> <laughs> which is the story of the emperors um, of the like late 2nd, early 3rd century. Okay. Um, It's quite funny, because the guy who wrote that, we don't know who that is, it's anonymous. Well, I mean, there are six fake authors, but it's so obvious it cannot be those six fake authors. How do you know that they're not the authors? Because the names are very suspicious, and because if you make a proper text analysis, all the text is the same sort of tone. If it was six different people, then you would be able to recognize six different styles. Ah, I see so and it's it's very funny because the person who wrote that didn't actually have the data for most of the emperors so he and also he was writing that as a probably as a pagan in response to the christian movement that was arising at the time because the 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 story augusta is supposed to be written early fourth century sorry late fourth century or early fifth century and so sometimes he doesn't have any information about the emperor. He just knows they existed. And because he can't say anything, he just goes like, yeah, and he drank a lot. And one <laughs> day he went to the horse races. and it <laughs>
1: Sounds like a good life. Yeah. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. When you go to these like museums and libraries, I imagine it's probably not like this, but do you go like down into like a cellar and it's like all dark and... It's just you and I suppose it depends on the library this particular one in Florence um, is it scary i think it's my main question yeah
3: no this it's, it's, it's very cold
2: okay
3: it's not scary it's well lit and it's okay. you know wooden nice tables and cozy chat but it's really cold uh, because you so the books if it's cold they 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 are better preserved yeah okay so i was in the middle of june in florence it was boiling hot mm-hmm. and but I was wearing a jacket inside the library because it was super cold and yeah um, before that I had been to Venice the year before and Venice you know it's, it lies by the sea it's really humid mm-hmm. and the library of Venice the Marciana, it's just next to the sea I mean if you look out the window there's the sea wow and I got there and I was like can I see this manuscript and they were like well you need to wait for half an hour because it's too humid so they had to put the air conditioning on just so the humidity would go away yeah and that's when then they let me see the manuscript but but yeah it was nice thank you bye thank you very much
0: Hello again. Uh, Thank you for listening all the way through. Uh, And of course, thank you again to Sadie and Nuria for uh, recording that interview um, and and to Sadie for hosting us at her new flat um, and providing us with tea and water and such like. One thing that uh, Nuria asked me to point out um, afterwards, she realised that um, she'd made a bit of a slip of the tongue when talking about Tacitus early in the podcast, Uh, she talked about the word maturus that she said Greek at the time but uh, of course Tacitus was writing in Latin uh, and she asked me to point that out uh, in case any eagle-eared listeners amongst you was uh, upset with that error Um, yes, it was a slip at the top so if you haven't yet heard uh, I want to be the one to tell you that uh, we have a next show, our next show is on the 22nd of September uh it's happening at um we've moved venue now. We're at a place called one oh four that um recently opened over the summer. Um it is uh it's on above Bar Street in the city centre of Southampton. Uh and uh yeah, it's gonna be a good show. Um we have our lineup of performers. Um we have uh a Compare uh, Alex Farrow, uh he's a very funny man. Uh and then we have uh Samantha Baines headlining. She's a very funny lady. Uh, And then um, we have... uh, I'm not going to carry on saying very funny for each of these people because uh, it's going to get tedious to listen to. Um, But we have five researcher performer people, um, one of which is me, uh, and then we have Lisa Jones, Grace Andrews, Emma Osborne, and Becky Alexis Martin. Uh, And... uh, they're going to be talking about a wide range of topics. I don't know exactly what everyone else is going to be talking about. I am beginning to realise what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, it's only a couple of weeks away. And uh, and yet, I don't know what I'm going to be saying, to be funny. Um, but uh, we'll work that out. We'll, we'll sort it out. It's going to be okay. So yeah, tickets for that are available. Um, so just uh, look us up on Facebook um, and on Twitter and... Um yeah f- find the tickets and buy yourself a ticket it's uh It's a slightly smaller venue than our old venue, so um we do foresee the strong possibility that it will be full um and uh so we advise you get your tickets soon uh because otherwise you might not get in, and that would be a sad thing to happen. Um, so that's uh, that's all I have to tell you at the moment I think so uh, well thanks for coming again and uh, see you at our next show um, although there'll be one more podcast before then just before then, a couple of days before then um, if I can be organised enough to get another one recorded and write a comedy set uh, yeah, wish me luck um, and, and I'll wish you good luck as well good, good luck, bye see ya